Amen. So you probably wonder why I'm sat down. Um, it's because I'm going to share something quite personal today, a little bit later in, my, in, in, uh, in this message. Um, and so, you know, normally when the word is given, it's like it's, it's from the place of authority, you know. And, but today, it's not like that. I'm, I'm going to share some stuff with you on your level, on my level. And we're just going to, you know, just going to impart some stuff and some things I think that God wants to say. But in, in, in the process of doing that, I'll be giving something of myself away. Now, one of the things that I find really difficult sometimes is you, you hear a lot of preachers on the TV and on YouTube and on the radio and stuff, and very rarely do they let you know about their own issues, their own struggles, and you just end up thinking about these people like they're some kind of superheroes, um, but actually they're not, and they're not, I would actually say they're being a bit disingenuous some of the time. I knew one guy who preached like that who never ever revealed anything of himself and yet back home he was deeply insecure and one day he tried to hang himself. And, and so it's important that sometimes that we get on a level and we have to be brutally honest. Uh, and so today I've called today's talk Facing Our Darkest Fears, which is something that we all try to avoid doing, but actually it's something that we need to do. And, uh, and later on I'll share you a little bit of a story about some of the fears that I've had to deal with and how it affected my behavior as a, as a person and in saying this some people might use this sermon and weaponize it against me some people you know, there's a lot of people that listen to me I do have my haters out there I, I get I, I get all kinds of weird stuff I had one guy come into our church the other day and slammed a letter down on our altar and walked out in a huff and in there it was saying I need to repent and all this kind of stuff but all these scriptures but I don't know what it was I need to repent of I'm always happy to repent but it's like well at least tell me what it was I need to repent of um, um, so yeah and um and then other people, you know, I get all sorts of stuff. But anyway, I get lots of nice mail as well. You'll be pleased to know. Um, so let's turn to a famous passage in John chapter 2. John chapter 2 and verses 13 to 17. So John chapter 2, verses 13 to uh, 17. And it says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there, and making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered what was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Um, so, so today's just like a one-off sermon. I'll be carrying on with our blueprint series from next week, but today I just felt like I had to share this. And the thing that I found interesting as I was meditating on this passage the other day is where it says, in the temple he found those who were selling oxen. In other words, he went in there looking for them. He actually went into the temple to cause a bit of a, bit of a fuss. Well, I mean, a bit of a fuss to man because it's like, hey, what are you doing? This is our place. What do you think you're doing? But actually, it's like, no, this is my father's house and you're turning it into a place of trade. You're robbing my father of the worship from the Gentiles and you're robbing the Gentiles of them being able to worship the father because this was in the court of the Gentiles where this took place. So there's this interesting language here where it says that Jesus found them. He, he went in there looking for them. And in Matthew 21, 14, it states that in the same kind of narrative, Jesus states that his house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Okay. 
and I've been doing a lot of talking about prayer and how we as the church corporately are the house of prayer, but individually as well, we are a house of prayer. Amen. And uh, so Jesus, conveniently and inconveniently, likes to clean the temples out every now and then. Amen. And sometimes that means he might come into our temple and have a good little look around the rubbish that's in our hearts and think, you know what? It's, it's time we do some cleaning in here because it's a right mess. Now, you might think, Chris, don't be, don't be mean, don't be cruel. But, but the fact is, and this is, this is the thing that I, I have noticed about Christians in general, I think about everybody in general, is we have this um, barrier, psychological, psychological barrier. It's called normality bias. And so we can't cope with things that are too weird, too frightening. We don't want to think about death. We don't want to think about certain things. It's like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to hear about it because we have this normality bias that protects us. Okay. It's, it's a self-protection mechanism. But one of the things we're very good at is not being honest with ourselves. And so in the process of not being honest with ourselves, we can do some really quirky behavior, and I'll come up to that shortly. So we know that famous scripture in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. It says, do, not, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that you receive from God and that he lives in you? You don't own yourselves. So in other words, Jesus has the every right to go into your temple and, uh, and have a good old clean out. And sometimes... It's inconvenient. Sometimes it's like, I really don't want to deal with this right now. But it's like, no, I want to deal with this now. And, and I think uh, you guys here, people listening to this, there will be some of you that God is sort of knocking and saying, look, there's some things in your life and we, we've dealt around, we've walked around this for a long time now and we need to clear it out. Why? Because the reason why God cleared out the temple was because it, it robbed God of his praise that was due to him. But it robbed the individuals of something as well. And Christ has given us a freedom that often we have robbed ourselves of because we won't deal with the clutter in our own temple. I remember a while back I went into Westminster Cathedral and it's a beautiful place. Anyone been there? Yeah, yeah. I get to go into for free because I'm a vicar. It's great. Isn't it? I just show my little card and they go in. You go then. So I get to go in for free. And I walked, walking around this place several times I've been in there, and it's beautiful and it's magnificent. But you know what really annoys me? It's the crypts. It's like, what is, the, what is something of, of dead people doing in the house of the Lord? It just feels like there's great big odious black things all over the place. And it's like, get it out. Why is it in it? It just feels like it's cluttering up the house of the Lord. And, and that's exactly what it's like in our hearts. We've got this beautiful cathedral that God has given us by his Holy Spirit. <laughs> and in there, we've just put all our clutter and our junk and memorials to things that are dead. And we just, just put that there and put this over there. You know, and we think it all looks great. But actually, Jesus is like, man, this place is a mess. We need to, we need to clean this up, right? Hallelujah. Do I get any amens? Amen. Amen, yeah. So, you know. Let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 4, famous passage. So Luke 4, verse 18 onwards. And uh, famous one, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release, uh, or liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. You see, the reality is, is that we are a work in progress, amen? amen. 
okay? Uh, some of us more than others, but we are a work in progress. And we're all, I'm reminded of, of Israel, when they were taken out of Egypt and they went into the wilderness, they had a slave mentality. Even though they were free, they still had a slave mentality. They just couldn't cope with the fact that they were free and they just didn't know what to do with themselves. If, and that's why they kept saying things, if only we could go back to Egypt, if only we could go back under slavery, because at least the food was good, at, was good back in Egypt. So they, they would rather what they were familiar with than break into a place of freedom. And this can be true of us as Christians. We can be so comfortable with the familiarity of our nature that we don't want to break free into what God wants us to because we're frightened or it's the unknown and what will I be like what will I look like you know will I turn into one of those weirdos like Chris you know whatever and but then and so the reality is that practically most Christians if we're honest with ourselves are a bit of a mess inside okay let's be honest but again in, in, in especially in charismatic Christianity we put this charismatic veneer on us it's like well Jesus has set me free amen I'm, I'm fine I'm good hallelujah I'm, you know how are you today yes amen I'm good inside you're dying and it's just like why can you not just be honest why can you not just be truthful um, with yourself and to yourself because Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You've got God living inside you. You think, you think there's things that you're thinking that he's not aware of? Yeah. <laughs> you know. And so like, over the years, I've, I've done a lot of ministry with various people. And every now and then I come across certain people who, because of what's going on in their minds, feel like they could lose their salvation. Okay? Because they're like, how can, how can anybody... How can anyone think these evil thoughts like I think? You know, I'm, I'm, I, I meet a lot of people like this. Okay? I, it surprises me how many people I meet. It's not an individual. It's, it's lots of them. And, and, I, and, I, and I fathomed it. I tried to fathom this. Why, why is it? Why is it that some people you know, fear that they could lose their salvation or something? And you think, is it, is it a theological issue? Sometimes it is. But it, actually, the heart of it, it's a fear issue. It's the fear issue of, I cannot cope with the reality of my own humanity and I wonder if God can too. And, and it's because of that that we then backpedal from God and we then think he can't possibly love me because I can't possibly love me because I cannot stand myself because of the way I think. Because nobody else thinks like this, right? Wrong. Everybody thinks like that in varying degrees. Now, I appreciate there's demonic stuff that can compound things and make them worse, and I get that. But that aside, most people wrestle with their humanity every day of their lives. And it's about time that we, we, we stop pretending that we don't. Now, we're not here to navel-gaze at ourselves all day either because we've got to kind of, yeah, move on as well in our lives. But this is what God wants. He wants freedom for us, but I think so often we don't want to face up to the reality of what's really going on inside of us because we don't think that that's normal or that should be what we should be like but the reality is is I do a lot of ministry people it is the fact that most people think like that and I tell you when most people realize that others think like this it actually makes you go oh thank god thank god I'm not losing my mind thank god I'm not crazy you know um and so charismatic theology, although very liberating, I find can actually be also be a problem. It can put a fake veneer over our lives. But equally, if you're a very religious person, a more traditional religion, they tend to preach that God, our loving saviour slash judge. And so, again, they find that very difficult because he's the judge and uh, he's going to condemn me for how I'm thinking, etc. So we need to get some foundations right. So let's look at a few scriptures here. So let's go to Hebrews chapter four. 
and verses 14 to 16. Um, this is talking about Jesus. It says, uh, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Sexual thoughts would have crossed Jesus. No, I'm not saying that he gave way to it, but that kind of stuff. Would have, if he saw a woman and stuff, the temptation to think those thoughts would have come into it. He stopped it. Okay. So any kind of thing that you wrestle with, Jesus in his humanity wrestled with it too. Days where you just want to give in to depression. Days where you, you, know, you, you just want to, I don't know. I mean, you can see that Jesus sometimes was pushed to the limits of his humanity. You know, when he was, he was, he was exhausted and when he was uh, in the garden, he was crying and his blood was pouring out in, in sweat. You know, he was pushed to the limits, yet he did not sin, yet he sympathizes with us. So whatever it is that you, that you think that Jesus is not going to love me for this, whatever it is that you possibly think that's so bad that God would not want you to be saved anymore and he's going to reject you, it's not true because Jesus was there. You might come to a place, but yeah, but I rejected my God. And, you know, but although Jesus never rejected his father, he come to a point where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, what a thing to say. Another scripture, Romans 5, 8. Sorry, I'll get to my Bible quite quickly if you're just trying to catch up. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I want you to think of the logic for this for a minute, okay? Yes, amen, brother Chris. Christ died for us while we're still sinners. But now I'm thinking these really naughty thoughts. I think God wants to fail me and forsake me and abandon me and I think I've lost my salvation. What utter nonsense. If he died for you when you were at your worst... Right. As a God hater and a complete rebel against God. Do you honestly think that now that you have got saved and now that you've got you're struggling with a thought life or you're struggling with things in your life that he's going to reject you or forsake you? That's complete absurdity. You know, facing our deepest fears, I'll be honest with you, is a dark place to go. And we need to understand something, like I've said, is that Jesus is already within us. He knows our deepest thoughts. So let's look at some Psalms. I'll just read these out to you. So Psalm 38 verse 9 says, You, Lord, know every one of my deepest desires. I'm just going to put this out there. The deepest desire, like, uh, my deepest desire is, you know, I wish I could have that person's wife. Or my deepest desire is I want to leave my husband. I mean, let's just be honest for a minute. Let's just get right down to the raw basics of our human nature, because we do think things that we're not proud of. Let's be honest with ourselves. OK, we do think these things. So you're not kidding anybody when you just pretend that, oh, you know, I'll just push that to one side because it says here, Lord, you know, every one of my deepest desires, good and bad. Amen. Psalm 139, 1 to 2 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. This includes your unconscious thoughts. What's unconscious thoughts? The ones that you're not even conscious that you're thinking. There is things going on deep within you right now on a fundamental raw level. 
Um, that's, it's things in the deep part of the brain, so you get the fight or flight responses, etc. They're a thing, and so if you've ever had trauma, that will affect that part of the brain. So there's things going on in, unconsciously within us that have affected us. Okay. Now the good news is, is obviously Jesus wants to set us free from this, and there's ministry for this, and, and there's healing and all of this. But you know, it's like an alcoholic. Unless the alcoholic acknowledges that he's an alcoholic, he's never going to be free of being an alcoholic, right? And unless you you acknowledge the fact that I do have a problem and I need to deal with it, then, then it's never going to get fixed. It's not just going to magically wake up one day and it's, oh, it's just gone as if by magic. How did that happen? Um, Psalm 103 verse 14 says, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. In other words, he knows that you're weak. He knows that you're frail. He knows that you, he knows, he knows every one of your, your uh, what's the word, uh, Achilles heel. He knows it. He knows, he knows exactly, you know, you, you, you. He knows, he knows exactly, you know, God, God knows. He knows that if the devil came in a certain day, he's like, man, they're really going to struggle with that. Because God knows. But he knows that you are, you're weak. And, and, and there's, there's, there's something really quite comforting in that. That it's now down to my performance. You know, yes, we've got to behave ourselves. I'm not saying you just like lie around and just flesh out everywhere. But there is a, there is a place where you've just got to acknowledge the fact that I've got to be real with myself. And I've got to be real with God. I mean, if you read the Psalms, man, those guys are real. You know. In the Psalms, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's one of them. Oh, but that's what Jesus said. It doesn't matter. Someone wrote it because that's how they felt. Okay. There's other times where people felt like, you know, why is it that you seem to care more for the for the wicked and the rich than you do for us? You know, what is it? We're 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 pulling our backs out here. We're doing everything to keep your covenant, and it just looks like you're ignoring us. All right. So that's in the Psalms. All right. People being honest with God. Um, so then we come to this thing. What I've entitled "Fear as the Mind Killer." The Bible says, do not fear or do not be afraid. I'm sure people know this. How many times? 365. Yeah, 365. One for each day of the year. Okay, so 365. <laughs> I hear that everywhere I go. It's one for each day of the year. So fear is a big deal to us, yet many shy away from dealing with the fear that, that is within us. Because the thing is, fear will do all kinds of weird things to you. It will rip you apart. It will affect your relationships. It will affect how you are. It will make you weird. It will make you quirky. Make you do kind of strange things. It will make you behave oddly and randomly. <laughs> and yet the deepest fear of all in all of this is somehow that God will reject us. Because that's so people who feel like they're going to lose their salvation, it's because like oh, God couldn't possibly love me because of what's going on in my heart. The fact that I'm having lustful thoughts about something or someone, you know, some people just cannot physically cope with that because they've got this filter in place that actually I'm a good person, really. But I can't cope with the fact that deep down inside of me, there's something quite dark in there. Yeah. It's gone quiet in here today. It's good. Um, so I'm going to share a few things now about myself. So I remember years ago, and I've said this once before, but a long time ago, when I first got married, I was, I was having a time of prayer. And suddenly, in an instant, I felt like God had flipped the lid on me and he took a look inside. And in one, for one second, I knew that I was fully known consciously. Now, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, when he comes before the holy God, he says, woe is me, for I am undone. The Hebrew means to literally come unraveled like a woolly jumper when it gets you and you pull on a thread. And it goes, he was literally coming apart psychologically. He, was, he just couldn't cope with the fact. And that's why he said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I, may, I, I live amongst the people of unclean, oh, of unclean lips. And, and this is how I felt in that moment when God peered into me and I knew that I was known fully. And, there, and I, and, but, but I got to see myself 
in a way that I'd never seen myself before. All my darkness, and there was a lot of darkness in there, and that freaked me out because I'm back pedals like, whoa, shut the lid, you know, because I don't want you knowing that. I don't want to know that I know that, and I don't want you knowing that either because that's how we are as people. Now, I'm going to share something now, which is very private, very personal, but I'm just going to tell you anyway, because hopefully this might help others, especially those in leadership, because when you're in leadership, um, who do you talk to? Who do you talk to, right? Um, you've got to have some very close friends, uh, and you've got to be careful what you say and to who you say it. Same with anybody. And um, I remember years ago when I first met my wife, and uh, the night that I said, oh, we go out with me, I wanted to start a relationship with her. Um, Rightly or wrongly, uh, I gave her a kiss. So, you know, I don't want theologies and that. If I did, redid everything now, I wouldn't even kiss her until I got married, obviously. Um, but, but, yeah, uh-huh. sort of like nervous <laughs> laughter there. So, <laughs> but but when, I, when I kissed her, something really peculiar happened. It was like in an instant, I got this, when I'm using this word in its context, it was like a premonition, instant premonition that that she wouldn't, always be my wife that one day she would die and and then I would and and then and that was it and it just it just instantly went into me and this is something that was from the enemy because what it did is that day it fractured me instantly because instantly I was like I'm not really going to commit everything to this relationship because you're going to die anyway um and so so I'm going to be brutally honest with you now you might think man like this guy but you know what take a look in the mirror right so I, I and I and I had such this, this, such this gnawing fear, and it just started to make me act in weird ways. So like when we were uh, just, just about to get married, and she said to me, oh, can you, can you phone up the, um, the, the, the people in, in Devon to, you know, to get a honeymoon already sorted out and just confirm it and stuff? And I, I just wouldn't do it, because I was like, I just couldn't commit to it, because I was terrified, because I thought, if I marry this woman, and I give my heart to her, and then she dies, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Even though I wanted to marry her, and even though I loved her, there was this part of me that just like it was clinging on for dear life. And it was like, I'm not going to do this. And so I remember that was the day she first lost her temper. Man, I'd never seen her. I thought she, <laughs> man, I just like, bang, she exploded. And I was like, who's this? You know. <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. Anyway, so, so I said, so, and, and I didn't understand why I was reacting like this. I've had this revelation over the last couple of weeks. Uh, this, 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 the last few weeks, uh, I, I've been doing a few things. I went down to Devon, Cornwall, and I did a prophetic conference down there with a, with a few others. And when, I, when I'd finished that, I felt the Holy Spirit said to me, you've crossed a line, and now we need to deal with some stuff. And I was like, crossed a line? Have I done something wrong? And it was like, you haven't crossed a line in the sense you've done something wrong, but you've pushed through spiritually. You're, you're pushing new territory, and you're putting yourself in a very dangerous place if you don't deal with this issue. And I was like, what issue? And he says, you're riddled with fear. I'm like, what fear? And then over the next few days, it all just started to come out. And so when you have these kind of fears when you're younger, you can deal with it because you're young. And you're like, well, she dies. I'm young enough and pretty enough. I could probably get another wife. But then when you get to about my age now, and you're in your 50s, and you're like, oh man, the old craggy lines are starting to come in. You're like, if I smile, it's like, I can't count how many lines I got now there. And it's like, you know, if she was to die on me now, it's like, my chances are now really limited. And if, and, and, and if, 
and, but I'm just being honest with you how I'm, how I'm thinking. I mean, this is fear is completely irrational behavior, isn't it? It really is irrational. No one would normally think like that, but that's what fear makes you do. To the point now, well, not to the point now, because God's been sort of dealing with this with me, but to the point where it was just like, I, I was petrified of getting old. I was petrified of my wife dying. And I was petrified of then being on my own for the rest of my life. So I had now these three fears. And they were making me re- do weird things within myself. Like the fact in my marriage, I've been married for 29 years, I have never actually fully committed to that marriage. If I'm honest with you, never. Two thirds of me I have, but there's always been that one third. It's just like I've never given it to her because it's like, I'm too scared to give this to you because if you die on me, I'm going to be that, when, you know. That's, the, that's what fear does. And that's painful. And so over the last week or so, I remember driving up to, to do another, help with another conference in Oxfordshire. Um, and, and then they changed everything last minute. Said, oh, we're just going to let the Holy Spirit lead. And, uh, and I was in that place for two days. And I guess God was doing business on me because, I don't know, I just felt really out of it for a couple of days. And then started driving home. And then all this emotion started coming out. And then I started wailing. Now, I'm not a crier. I just literally started wailing in the cars as I was, as I was coming home. Just all this, all this pain and all of this fear and all this anxiety. And it was just all coming out. And it was, it was, just, it was just finally... Um, just felt God saying, you know, you, you just need to let this go. You just need to trust me. You just need to just need to let it go. And and as I finally stopped pretending that it wasn't there, and as I start, finally started to instead of you know trying to fight this thing in my own strength, um, because you see, fear is like a shadow boxer. If you turn to the left, it will it will do the opposite. If you turn to the right, it will do exactly. It was like it's like fighting a mirror reflection. You can never get round it because fear knows exactly what you're thinking, and you are thinking what you are because of fear. So whatever you do, you're not going to get around it. The only way you can get around it is to actually, to be honest with yourself, and face that thing head on and say, you know what, I, I can't live like this anymore, and I'm not going to live like this anymore. I remember years ago, I used to suffer from paranoia. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I used to suffer from paranoia. And, and it, was a, it was a fear that people wouldn't accept me. Uh, and it just bound me up. To the point where, you know, someone sent me a text and I'd be like, what do they mean by that? Looking for every nuance and, and stuff. And I'm like, what do they mean? What do they mean? Is, it, is this because they've rejected me in some way? And I got to a point where I said, God, I cannot live like this anymore. Christianity, there must be more to Christianity than this. There must be an answer. I come to a place of desperation. I said, God, I can't live like this anymore. Will you please help me? Well, then nothing happened for two weeks or seemingly so. And then one day, uh, two weeks later, I sat on a park bench and I was just looking at the sunset and then instantly I was healed. I just felt it. It was just like it had gone. And I've never had that paranoia ever since. It's because I felt, I, I faced that fear. I stopped pretending. I stopped blaming everybody else. Like, oh, you spoke to me like that and you did this and you did that. It's like, no, it's no one else's fault. It's your fault and you're the one with the problem. So deal with it. Because it's always quite easy to blame everyone else for our own problems that we're not happy or prepared to face. Amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. 
I know this is a hard message today, but actually God wants us to do bit. You know, God's going to do some amazing things I, I see in these days. Well, there's going to be some tough stuff coming very soon, I believe. But it's going to be an amazing time as well. But if we haven't got our act together, how, how can we be a blessing to those around us if we're like still all quirky with our weird, weird emotions and weird things? Because God wants his people to be free. And so Hebrews 13.5 is a lovely scripture. It just says, I will never fail you and I will never forsake you. I prefer the extended version there in Deuteronomy 4.31. It says, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. And, and this is what I found really beautiful this week is I haven't found the presence of God diminished, gone because of, oh, you're such a wicked sinner that you think these thoughts. It's like he knows I think those thoughts. It's me that's been pretending that I don't think those thoughts. It's me trying to put them to the side. And now it's like, I now I have to face these thoughts. You know, they're not going to go away. They're getting stronger as I'm getting older. So if I don't deal with it, it's going to cripple me one day, you know. Uh, and so emotionally that is. And so I just, I just had to come to terms with it. And God had to show it to me right in my face. I remember the night before all this kicked off, some, someone sent me a video and it just triggered something in me. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why has this triggered something in me? And then boom, it all came out the next day. But I never felt for one second that God was like, oh man, you know, you filthy Christian, I'm not, I'm not going to be with you anymore. It was like his presence was there even more. It was like, I'm here for you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm your father. Let's work through this together. I'm here. I love you. Let's do this. Yeah. My job, as the Holy Spirit was saying to me, was to make you more Christ-like, to make you more like him. You, and Jesus has come to set us free. Uh, and, and he doesn't want us to be robbed and destroyed anymore. And, you know, the trouble is with fear is it brings death. It brings, fear can bring death to your emotional life. It can bring death to your family. It can bring death to your marriage. You know, I wonder how many men who have had a midlife crisis have left their wives, gone after for someone younger because of all these fears that they've never dealt with, only to find someone younger and find out that they're even just as miserable as they were when they were with the other woman. And it's got nothing to do with the women. It's got everything to do with them. So Hebrews 2, 14 to 15 says, Jesus came to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Because you might think, well, I'm not frightened of dying, but all fear is death, actually, because that's ultimately the source of all things, is the ultimate fear of death is death. The ultimate fear of fear is death. You know, the end of, the conclusion of. My fear is the death of my, well, my fear was the fear of my, my wife and the fear of not being able to marry again and the fear of dying alone. It's all to do with death. OK, the fear of of that God rejects me and he's I'm going to lose my salvation. The fear that God will reject me and let me spiritually die. It's death. Can you can you not see that de the fear is always death? It always is. It's always that's where it comes from. And that's where it leads to. But Hebrews 2 says Jesus came to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime, lifetime subject to bondage. Yeah, that's what fear does to us. It, 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 it subjects us to bondage. So I just want to end with these few points here to uh, how to deal with your darkest fears. And I appreciate some of you like found this maybe a bit hard to swallow, but, you know, um, firstly, you're a broken human being. Get over it. So is everyone else. It's just that some sadly don't realize it. 
Yeah, some people, you'll get a lot of people that are critical. Some of the uh, most judgmental people that I know of are people that think they're completely fine and everyone else isn't because the reality is, is they're a mess and they just don't want to face it. And it's easier to get angry at someone else's mistakes than look at themselves. That's a sad fact. Secondly, understand that Jesus was tempted in every way like you are so that he can have sympathy and understanding towards you. Yeah, well, like, he didn't sin, but he knows exactly what you're going through. Um, thirdly, the good news is God is inside of you. The bad news, he knows exactly what you're thinking, whether you like that or not. So quit pretending that all is well when it isn't. Uh, fourthly, face your fear head on. Do it with God, knowing that he loves you and he won't condemn you and he won't disappear from you. Fifth, I suppose I could just come in number four, run toward God, not away from him. Uh, six, uh, be honest with God. Tell him your darkest, deepest, murkiest secrets. So, you, you know, Say, Lord, I'm having these, these thoughts that I want to, uh, and this is not what I've been thinking, but like, Lord, I want to go off and run off with that woman down the street or something, you know, but Lord, I know this is wrong. So Lord, I, this is how I feel about this. Can you help me with that? Be honest. Don't pretend that you're not feeling these thoughts, all right? Because that's what we do. We're like, ah, oh, you know, and I know we have to take every thought captive and that's one of the processes that I'm going to list here as well, but in the process of doing it, you've got to be honest with yourself as well. And the fact is, why do I want to go off with another woman? What, why, what is the reason behind that? Take a good look at yourself and you might find the answer to that. Um, yeah. So seven, learn to take every thought captive. Don't let fear send you on a mental spiral. Um, eight, give your fears to God and ask him to help you and to heal you. So like he did with my paranoia. And nine, Get some ministry if you need to. We offer ministry in the church where we can pray for you and help you, um, you know, do the best we can to walk with you in that. And remember this, Jesus came to give us freedom. So let's fight to stay in that freedom. And I'll end with this, Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Amen. Amen.